scores! Gilmore scores! Off the glass, it looks corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Rebound, another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg. All right, we are underway. It is Thursday, May 25th. Welcome aboard this hour from our Doug Lazy's Basement Systems downtown studio. Steinberg along with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Craig Conroy has officially been on the Flames GM job for about 48 hours. Tuesday morning when it was announced. He signed his contract on Tuesday morning, so we're a little bit more than 48 hours into Conroy's tenure now as general manager of the Calgary Flames. Hasn't had much time to get to his checklist, but believe me, well, not like I'm telling tales out of school here, but there's no doubt he has a very important checklist to get through in the next number of months. No doubt about it. So let's Go through some of what's on his checklist and go through some of the big things that he's going to have to tackle as we kick off this hour of the program and in no particular order. Hopefully your Thursday is going along well. So we know the Flames have to hire a head coach. That one we know for sure. Um, And I would imagine that search gets going here fairly soon because right now they're working through their amateur scouting meetings. Those scouting meetings finish on Friday. So... You work through the amateur scouting meetings. You go through that process. Those come to an end whenever they come to an end. Friday morning, I think, is when they all wrap up. Then the amateur scouts go their different directions. And then, you know, there's draft prep, absolutely. There's free agency prep, for sure. Pro scouting meetings happen usually at the draft. Um, But... During that time, the search for a head coach will get underway. And I would imagine sometime in mid-June, we'll have news about who the head coach is going to be. So, I think early next week, they dive right in on this head coaching search. And we know there are some external candidates. Some interesting names have been popped out there, whether it's Alex Tongay or Gerard Gallant or Andrew Burnett. And I'm sure there will be other external candidates who end up working their way out of the woodwork and and we find out more potential uh, external coaches. But we've talked a lot about the internal candidates too. And, and right now there are three internal candidates. Mitch Love, head coach of the Calgary Wranglers, and then Flames assistants Ryan Huska and Kirk Muller. And this is what Craig Conroy told us, uh, told us on Tuesday when he sat down with us on Flames Talk. Uh, and we asked him about the internal candidates. Here's uh, where the GM is when it comes to his three internal choices, potentially for head coach. Well, it does make it easy because those guys are going to get interviewed. You know, they're, they're guys that deserve it. They've worked hard. They've put their time in. They've had success everywhere they've been. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting for us. It's exciting that the organization has these type of quality individuals in it. And, you know, we're looking forward to actually, you know, once, once we get through a few other things in the day, you know, to be able to talk to those guys yeah. and interview them. You know, because I know him as assistant coaches, and I know Mitch is the head coach in the American League, but it'll be, it'll be good to see him in the in- interview process for sure. So we've talked a lot about Mitch Love. That was Craig Conroy on Tuesday with us. We've talked a lot about Mitch Love, and, and he absolutely deserves the long look that he's going to get. 
Uh, we talked to him on Monday, and he we went through the season for the Wranglers, and that was the main part of the conversation. But at the end, we asked him a few questions about the future and potentially interviewing to be Flames head coach. And basically what he told us was, as of Monday when we spoke with him, he hadn't had any conversations with the Flames about being head coach. Um, but he also said that, yeah, he would love the coach in the NHL one day, whether it's right away or a little bit down the road. And he also was very confident that, yeah, he thinks that he can be a good head coach and he can help a team win at the NHL level. And very confident in that. But I, I would suggest in a, it didn't really seem like, it. for me, it was just kind of the, very much in line with the way Mitch goes about his business. Honest, he's got confidence in himself, and he believes that, yeah, he can coach at this level. The entire interview is part of the Hour 2 podcast from Monday on Flames Talk. But you know, the thing that jumped out most to me when speaking to Mitch on Monday was I asked him about the different ways you have to communicate now as a head coach and the different ways that you have to relate to your players as a head coach now as opposed to maybe in the past and and you know his philosophy on communicating with head coaches and this is what Mitch told us on Monday this game now in and just the way the athletes are I mean and and really coaches I mean you you, you got to adapt man with the players and um, uh, it's so driven to just the one-on-one communication, the the component of, of challenging players, being honest with them. But there, there's a way to go about that. And I, I don't know if I can really explain myself properly other than just being myself as a person with the players and, um, you know, behind closed doors and, and whatnot. So, I, you know, the players that have played for me, um, they could probably answer that question better, to be honest with you. I, I just... I really just try to connect with the players. I feel like if you can connect with them and, and, and you're honest with them and you're willing to work with them, they're going to give you what, what they can to, to be successful as a team. And um, I think that's a big, big chunk of today's player and the big chunk of being a today's coach is, is that. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at and the kind of my philosophies in terms of working with athletes. So, I, and I think that that a really, uh, a really strong answer and, I think that he is the type of coach that so far in his pro career, he went from coaching teenagers in the Western League to coaching, yep, some young players with the Wranglers and the Stockton Heat, but also some veteran guys and guys with hundreds and hundreds of professional games under their belt. I I think it's important that you've got a guy that is able to communicate and get his message across differently to different guys and is able to change his approach based on different guys and and different ways of of them receiving the message. Uh, that that to me is uh, that's really important. And so that I think was a really important answer from Mitch Love in that respect. Ryan Huska, we've talked a lot about. I think very similar when it comes to the communication side of things. I really believe that his communication style and his ability to connect with players is strong. And I think it would be exactly what the flames again, or, or another team. I I think it would absolutely be well-received. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of talk about it being tough to go from being an assistant to a head coach, same team. But I think Huska is the type of guy that even though maybe it's a, a softer approach, 
he still, in my eyes, has a real authoritative way go about going about business. And, and when he talks and he's stern, it, it, it gets it. Now, I've never been disciplined or I've never been, he's never been, um, you know, upset at me or, or trying to, <laughs> trying to change the way I do things or teach lessons or anything like that. I've never been coached by him, but just based on what I've heard from players and, and guys that I've spoken to who have played with him uh, or played for him rather at the NHL level and other levels, very strong communicator, authoritative. And even though it's maybe um, a quieter way of going about things, still commands that respect. I think that he's sharp and modern in terms of the way he goes about wanting his team to play. Um, and he's been successful with pretty much everything he's touched at any level. Great penalty kill with the Flames in, in recent years. He's been strong as a head coach at both the American League and Western League level. I mean, he had all kinds of success as a head coach in the Western Hockey League. So, yeah, I, I think that he absolutely should be uh, a very strong contender as well. And then... There's Kirk Muller, who I know a lot of people aren't as big on. And and I, I get it to some extent because the power play has not been an area of strength for the Flames in Muller's tenure the last two seasons. But I wonder, I, I just, I wonder what Muller the head coach would be. I get it. The power play has struggled the last two seasons with some pretty good personnel. And that's been Kirk's primary area of, you know, focus. But I'm always interested in somebody getting their second head coaching job. I'm always interested in somebody applying lessons they've learned to a second go round in that gig. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's meh and, and it just ends up being the same as the last one. But that, that's really interesting to me. Uh, what is take two like, or if, and I, and I think that Kirk has had some phone calls the last couple of off seasons last year and this year, when it comes to potentially taking jobs or, or being in the mix for head coach jobs around the NHL. Um, just if he's, not in charge of one certain area and more of an overseer is the head coach. I'd be really interested in that. And look, we are talking about a guy that just based on his playing track record, I think would garner some respect inside that room. And I do know that, you know, he's very clear in the way he communicates. And and again, you know, he's a guy that uh, I, I think is, is pretty easy to get along with. So those are the three internal candidates. Um, and, and they all are, are interesting for different reasons. I'm curious, I'm curious how that pecking order ends up shaking out for me. It's kind of a dead heat between love and Huska. Um, and as this text comes in and says, what are your thoughts of Huska got the head coach and Mitch love comes up to the big club as an assistant that that is a way that you could ensure you keep both guys, because I do think there is a significant chance that you lose a few of these guys that we're talking about. So, you know, both Huska and Muller, as far as we know, do not have contracts for next season. And so they've got the ability come June 30th to go wherever they want and field offers elsewhere. We know that Muller's been a head coach before and has got some bites over the last couple of off seasons, this one included. And we know Ryan Huska was the runner-up to Detroit and Derek Lalonde last summer. So there is some, there's some cachet around the league for Ryan as well. I, both, I think both those guys, if they were to leave the Flames organization, would end up on benches otherwise, other, other places elsewhere, whether it's as a head coach or not. Um, that, that's not as 
that that you can't be as confident in just because there's only a few of those jobs around the league, but um, definitely would be on benches, I think, on staffs and assistant or associate roles. So you do that. That is one thing that you have to, I guess, really factor in. For me, I guess just because of the buzz that's being generated for Mitch Love, I, I really am going out of my way to try to keep that guy. And and if Huska Love is a duo or or you know part of a coaching staff at the NHL is something that you can do, then I think you look into that. Um, I don't think it should be out of the question anymore, though, that a guy like Mitch gets the bump to the NHL. Um, and. If that were to happen, then yeah, you probably do lose a couple of really good other coaches elsewhere. That would just be my guess. But I guess it would be neck and neck with Love and Huska. And I don't know. It's so tough for me to call this one, at least in terms of the way I, I, I guess just because of the recent track record and the buzz that is around him around the league, I'd put Mitch just slightly ahead if I were making the decisions, but man, it's close with him and Ryan Huska. Uh, let's read a couple of texts on this before we get to the rest of the uh, checklist at 960-960. This says, Pat, what are your thoughts on Gerard Gallant? His results seem to suggest he underachieves in year two or three, is dumped unceremoniously, and is rumored to be uncooperative with management. Doesn't seem like he'd be a long-term fit. That's kind of where I am. I don't think Gerard Gallant's the the right choice. I know there's the history with Jonathan Huberdeau, both in Florida and at the Q, at the Q level. But for me, I don't think Gallant is the right fit. Just even look, that's a couple hundred point seasons in New York with Gallant behind the bench, and he was still fired. And I know they got beat out by the Devils in Game Seven, around one. But yeah, I just I I don't think that the, a lot of the things that you heard about Gallant on the way out. You heard about Daryl Sutter on the way out, and I just don't think that is the way the way forward for the Flames, especially right now. Um, this reads, uh, what are your thoughts if Husky got the head coach and Mitch Love up to the big club as an assistant? We talked about that. This says no to Muller. Uh, this from Mark. Pat, I'd love to see Mitch Love get the gig. After Conroy's press conference, though, I'm not sure he will, as I think how he treats player is likely similar to, uh, players rather, is likely similar to Sutter. I don't know. I, I Yes, he's a hard coach. Yes, he's a demanding coach. But even just listening to that clip we played a little earlier about the way that he communicates with players, I, I don't think it's the exact same situation. Um, and yeah, so I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily as worried about that. I understand it, but I'm not as worried about it just because of, you know, this even talking to different guys and, and the way that he is able to motivate and connect with individual guys, so on and so forth. Let's move from coaching to some of the other items on Conroy's checklist for the next number of months. We know about the UFAs next summer, and we'll get to that. But you know who the most interesting UFA is for this summer, at least for me? Um, yes, there's, uh, we know about Lucic and Lewis and Stetcher and, and Stone. Like, there's some interesting UFAs that they need to figure out for this summer. But the guy for me is Matthew Phillips. It, to, to me, he is the most intriguing and the most interesting UFA this offseason. Coming off another outstanding season in the American League, but still barely got any NHL time. He got the recall, and he was up for two or three weeks or whatever the case may be. But played two games, and I think it was less than 17 minutes that he got into in those two games on the road. And now he's an unrestricted free agent because he didn't meet the threshold to qualify for RFA again. So he'll be Group 6 UFA, 
and will be able to sign anywhere come July 1st. And uh, this is, uh, we asked Conroy about the future of Matthew Phillips on Tuesday. We actually had our exit meetings yesterday and we talked to Maddie, you know, and Maddie, Maddie talked about the same thing, opportunity. That's what he's looking for, you know. Did he commit to us, hey, I'm going to come back? No. Did he say he wasn't coming back? No. So it's a little bit of a gray area right now with Maddie, but I don't know. I mean, he's done everything he can. Obviously, I can see why everybody wanted to see him in the in the lineup at at certain points in the season. And I'll be honest, I did too. You know, it didn't happen. So, you know, we just have to move forward from there. And then we're obviously we're going to talk to his agent and see if if Maddie has a desire to come back because I mean I was the one that drafted Maddie. I I was the one that said, "Yeah, Todd, I want to take him." And you know what? I don't know about the NHL. I said that when we drafted him, but he's right. done everything he can do uh except get a chance in the NHL. So that was Craig. And again, didn't say one way or the other. Said he talked to him and said that, you know, he didn't commit one way or the other, which is very similar to what we heard from Matthew when we, he spoke to him on Monday as well. This was Phillips when asked about his future and uh, kind of the, the Q&A with him for about 90 seconds about what might come next as well. It's no secret that there's, uh, there's been some changes uh, to the organization, and um, I think we'll just kind of wait and see how this unfolds here and, and what what is to come, but it's... Uh, it's a different situation for me being a free agent. I've, you know, always kind of had the the next year made up for me since I've yeah. been drafted. You know where you're going to play and you know what to expect and such. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely I haven't made a decision on anything. Um, just kind of let this process play out. It's, it's very new to me, so we'll see what happens. Do you uh, you mention those changes? Do you think those changes could influence you? positively to to stick around uh potentially i mean i just think you whatever whatever decision a player is making at this time uh, in the offseason you want to you want to have your homework done and and you want to have answers to you know um like people you're going to be working with playing with and such so you just want to have all the information uh at your fingertips to make decisions how how much does NHL playing time and and that potential factor in for you. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's my goal. I want to play in the NHL, and um, that's that's been my goal since I got drafted, and that's what I'm continually trying to achieve. So, um, no matter where where I'm playing next year, I, I, obviously right now I don't know where that might be, but um, you, you want to play in the NHL, and that's that's the goal. Yes, I know that. The last question is pretty obvious, but, you know, I just wanted to gauge where that was on the important scale and playing close to home and all that type of stuff where that may factor in. Uh, but here is uh, here's a few texts on the Matthew Phillips front. Actually, I'll, 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 before we get there, this is where I'm at. I think they have to, at the very least, try in earnest to keep Phillips in the fold because this is a guy they took a chance on a guy they developed, and a guy who has done nothing but succeed at every level. At least try to rectify the mistakes of last season. I think it was a mistake the way that he was utilized or wasn't utilized at the NHL level last year. And at least give yourself a chance to find out exactly what you have because we still don't know, and the organization still doesn't know. And so, to me, I think trying to convince him to stay and 
just with words, but with a contract that is convincing, that to me is really important. I would I would potentially put a one-way contract on the table. Like if that is what you felt was going to get it done for Matthew and to keep him here, yeah, I'd put a one-way contract on the table. You know, one-way, one-year, 950 or something like that. And and that to me is a little bit of a commitment that says, hey, we're willing to pay you the exact same at any level. A one-way contract just by virtue of it gives you a little bit more of a leg up in training camp to earn a spot. It just to me... We still don't know what he is. And I know there's a lot of people that say, well, he's too small, and and clearly if he hasn't succeeded yet in the NHL, he won't succeed. How do we know he's played one full, uh, three full games? One one of them was meaningless in the, in the, the North Division bubble season in game 56. And two of them were this year where he barely played. He's yet to play a home game in front of fans. I don't know. I just... I don't know how you can tell what you have in him as of yet. And that's why I think because you drafted him, because you've developed him for the last seven years, at the very least, if he leaves, know that you put something on the table that was convincing and that you did everything in your power to try to keep him. Uh, and, and so, yeah, that's that's where I am on Phillips. Here's a few texts at 960-960. Brett says, if Phillips was that great, he'd be on the big club. Hometown, hometown guy or not, if the Flames can't be... Hometown guy or not, the Flames can't be wasting money on players that aren't going to make the team full-time. All I would say, Brett, is how do you know? How do we know? That's all I'm saying. Uh, this says, I'm a Wrangler season ticket holder, and I watched almost every game this year. I get the excitement, but Phillips is not suited to the NHL. He has moments of brilliance, but he's not comparable to the guys he's often compared to, like San Luis or Caulfield. He lacks strength and regularly loses battles. It's fantastic in the American League, but I genuinely don't think it translates. And again, what I would say to that is, let's have that proven. Maybe you're right. Let's prove it. Mick says, I'd give Phillips a one-way, $1 million contract for one year. Yeah, that's kind of the ballpark I'm in, Mick. And finally, this says, here's my thing about Phillips. A lot of talent, and I hate to talk about his size, but his game is standing in front of the net and battling in corners. That will not translate to the NHL for a guy his size to me. He'll get manhandled. I heard Yamamoto say, I get hit in the head every game, and that worries me since Matt's even smaller. Most guys that size who are successful are elusive and shy away from contact. That's from Dylan in Revelstoke. You might be right. Dylan, you might be right. A couple of the other texters might be right. I just want to actually see for 20 or 30 games even if that is right. That's all I'm saying. Um, Pat, I like Phillips. However, he's 140 pounds and was totally destroyed in the playoffs of the Wranglers this season. He's not an NHLer, and he just gave away a one-way guaranteed contract at the expense of another contract, another player. I don't know if I necessarily see it that way, and that's fine. Um, by the way, that getting manhandled in the playoffs... Still a pretty productive player. Seven points in nine games, including an overtime winner. I don't know. Is the size a limitation? Of course it is. I just think that there's reason to play it out. And final, uh, you know what? That uh, those, are, those are a couple of items on the checklist. There's lots more. We can get into some more of those on Friday's show. Uh, we can get into the UFAs after this season. We can get into Elias Lindholm, that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, 
there's there's lots more to get into when it comes to the Craig Conroy checklist. There's a couple of things to get into. The coaching search, for sure. And then uh, Matthew Phillips, to me, is the most interesting pending you unrestricted free agent for this season. It's Steinberg along with you on Flames Talk. It is Thursday, May 25th, 2023, which means only one thing. That means 34 years ago today. And over at that flame bench, there's all kinds of excitement going on there. Over at the penalty box, Jim Poplinski and Tim Hunter, not dressed tonight, have joined Al McInnes. They've got their sweats on, and the Calgary Flames have won the Stanley Cup! We're the winners! We're the winners! Yeah, baby! Yeah, baby! Yeah, baby! And the Flames coming out to celebrate out of the ice now as the Calgary Flames have won the Stanley Cup for the first time in their history. And they do it here in the Montreal Forum. That was May 25th, 1989. It's a day that uh, Flames fans, a date that Flames fans know. May 25th, 89. Here we are on May 25th, 2023. The 34-year anniversary of the Stanley Cup victory in Montreal. It's Steinberg along with you this hour of Flames Talk underway. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. They're your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour continues on a Thursday. It's time to uh, head down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, check in with a uh, Flames Talk fan member, Post Media's Wes Gilbertson, with us uh, from Oregon, where he's uh, on a lovely retreat, but uh, has been working nonetheless on a little vacation. Wes Gilbertson joins us right now. Hello, sir. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you? How's uh, how's Bend, Oregon, so far? You know, it it has been a very difficult day for me. I played 18 holes this morning. I had lunch at a brewery, and now I'm going to go play nine more holes. Oh, tough life, hey? Keep me in your thoughts, please. <laughs> yeah, I'll be sure to. What? Uh, well. <laughs> You and yet and yet you're still listening along and paying attention to uh, what happened on Tuesday in the uh, Craig Conroy introductory news conference, right? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I watched it. Uh, you know, I did. I was. I didn't want to miss it. I suppose is the best way to put it. But uh, I tuned into the whole thing. Um, I, I think Craig is going to be. I think he's going to be a really good GM, first of all, but he is going to be such a good representative I'm sorry, of the Flames organization, and that matters a ton. I, I really do think that this is going to be a guy that the Flames are going to be proud to have as sort of the face of the organization. What, uh, what for you makes him, you know, on top of the, the or, or aside from the, the feel-good stuff and aside from, you know, Craig being a good guy and a great ambassador and, and a great interview and all that type of stuff, what makes him for you the right guy for the job? Well, I think continuity is really important, and, and you and I have talked about this numerous times. I think continuity with 
seven UFAs coming up is really crucial. And I know that there are fans out there who wanted an external hire who, who thought, okay, you know, we haven't had a ton of success. We haven't been past the second round of the playoffs with this current brain trust. Let's do something different. And I understand where people are coming from there, but I, I think with the magnitude of this next season in terms of deciding what you're doing with those seven UFAs and in terms of sort of charting the course for the future, the immediate future of this franchise, I think continuity was really key. And and while I think Brad Pascal was a really strong candidate, I do think that Craig Conroy w- was probably the strongest of the internal candidates. Um, you know, I, I've heard nothing but good things about his eye for talent. I, I know that his positivity and, and his strong relationships are going to be an asset. And so that's sort of what sticks out for me. But I, I think continuity, especially at this juncture with, with what lies ahead in the next 13 months, I, I think that can be a real asset. Yeah. And I, that's where I've been for most of this and, and how I felt for a good chunk of it. And, and mainly because look, as as I've said, they, it's not like they wanted to say goodbye to to Brad Tree Living. They the the desire was for him to be back as general manager for another year, and I know that it didn't end up going that way. But if you wanted the GM to be back, well, then you might as well go with the continuity angle. That's that's kind of how I fell in on the whole thing because because of the fact that it's it's pretty clear that for right now. They're not going to rebuild, and I do think that that Conroy's got some different ideas. And and even in his news conference on Tuesday, there were some very clear hints that he's got some different ways of going about things. But if you were already thinking about sticking with the same regime, and you've got a guy who has been groomed for a GM job for more than a decade now, it just seemed to make sense to to go down that road and and promote from within. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. This is a, a job that he's been waiting for, but also a job that he's ready for. Like that, We're talking about 12 years in a an NHL front office, and not a ton of different GMs, but he's worked with Jay Feaster. He's worked with Brad, obviously. He's worked with Brian Burke. He, he's put in the time, and, and I thought it was, I thought it was important that Don Maloney went out of his way to stress that this isn't this isn't a popularity contest. We're not hiring this guy because he might be the first assistant GM that you've ever called a fan favorite. I, I do <laughs> think he's he's ready, like he's ready for the role, and and I'm I'm really keen to see where it goes. I I, I do think he's going to do a good job. I I liked what I heard about you know, the importance of being more creative on offense. I know he said already that he'd like to acquire another top six forward, although we all know how difficult that can be to do. I, I, I think this is a guy who has been waiting for this opportunity. And, you know, for the Flames, if they brought in, you know, let's use Dave Nonis as an example, a guy who's been a two-time GM. If they opted to go with experience, and obviously Dave is going to be a part of Craig's staff, if, if if experience was that important to them, then you'd say, okay, I, I see why they didn't go with Craig. But if you were going to give a guy an opportunity who hadn't been a GM before, I think it made the most sense for it to be the guy who is already at the Saddledome and has been, as you said, groomed for this role for more than a decade. Yeah. 
Uh, Wes Gilbertson's with us uh, from Post Media and one of our uh, Flames Talk family members. Um, you know, we just earlier this hour went through some of the items on Craig's checklist and some of the things that he'll need to tackle and will be tackling in the first few months on the job. You know, this is not a guy that's going to just get an opportunity to ease into the job, is it? Like, I, I was thinking, you know, when Julian Breesbaugh took over from Steve Heiserman, you know, it's not like it's not like there's ever an easy general manager's job, but that seemed like, okay, that's a, a little bit more of a, a ready-made, nice succession plan. Like, Conroy's got a massive head coach hire on his hands, and he's got all kinds of extremely important, like, franchise-defining player personnel moves to make, and it just... This is, um, you go from being the AGM to now stepping into driving the bus and, whew, th- this is a high-pressure situation to begin with, and then the decisions that he's got to figure out and the decisions he's got to make ramp that pressure up even more. Yeah, and it's just another, it's another example why continuity is such an asset is that He's been thinking about these decisions. It, it might not have been under the idea that, that it, he was going to be the one calling the shots, but he certainly has digested the way Elias Lindholm answered that question about his future in Calgary. He, he's digested what Michael Backlund said, and those are the, the public comments. He's digested everything that has been said behind the scenes. So he, he's not a new guy coming in thinking, okay, I better wrap my head around the Elias Lindholm scenario. I, I, I better get to know Elias and see what his interest level is or, or anything like that. I think it's so important because, as you said, this is like, it feels like we've been saying this every summer for the last few, but this is such a crucial summer for the Calgary Flames now. And, yeah, there's no easing into his first general manager job like once you get your head coach hired you you, you've got a mid first round pick in what's supposed to be a very deep draft not to put too much pressure on it but you can't you know you can't miss with this pick because of the way your prospect cupboards look yeah you you just have a lot going on and you you don't have a lot of room for error and obviously Lindholm and Backlund and Hannafin and Tanev and down the list like you you have to make really tough decisions on some really important pieces, and you need to do so sooner than later. It um, and I don't know if you if 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 you'd agree with this or not. It's for different reasons, but and 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 the way that the Flames got to this point different, but it, it feels a lot like when Jay Feaster took over as general manager and kind of had a lot of things that he had to work through and a lot of difficult decisions to make in the early going. That's uh. That they, I, it kind of has that vibe for me as Conroy takes over. Yeah, like Jay was sort of left to dismantle that era of of the Flames' core. He, he's the guy who made the Jerome McGinley trade. He, he dealt with Mika Kippersoff. You know, everyone kind of knew at at that point in Mika's contract that he wouldn't be back for another season. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but that that was with Jay at the helm as well. It was right? absolutely. So, yeah, and so he he kind of was was the GM who he was in charge of that transition to what a new core would look like, and and I do think that opportunity is there for Craig Conroy. Obviously, there's some long-term contracts signed with Jonathan Huberdeau and, and Mackenzie Weger at the top of that list, and Nazem Kadri as well. But 
there is an opportunity to do more than just a little bit of light tinkering with this core, especially now with the con- contractual status of so many of these guys. And so he he has an opportunity to immediately put his stamp on the team, but he doesn't have a lot of time to, to think it through. He doesn't have a lot of time to kind of settle into his role before he gets started on that. What uh, what did you make of, of his comment about you know, wanting to get more youth into the lineup. How did that strike you when you heard it on Tuesday? You know, the the biggest thing that struck me about that comment, and I'm not sure if you feel the same way, was, was sort of the admission that bringing in a veteran a couple weeks before training camp to sort of fill the last job opening was not necessarily the route he would like to go. It, it's a conversation that I think we had a lot when they brought back Brett Ritchie, for example, this past off season, you know, towards the the end of the yeah. or, or towards the end of the summer, and so I I've covered enough training camps, and you'd be the same way where we showed up and, and it was like, oh, what's the what's the training camp battle seventh defenseman because the roster's set yeah. and. So for Craig to be talking already about leaving a spot open and letting the young guys battle it out for, for that spot and, and have a legitimate chance to know with a good training camp that they're going to have a role on the team, that they're going to get a chance to start in the NHL, I, I think that's probably exactly what you needed to hear. I, it was one of the things, I'm glad you mentioned it, because it was one of my biggest takeaways as I sat here in Oregon watching the presser online, I thought, geez, that, if I'm a young guy and, and maybe I'm Matthew Phillips thinking about re-signing or I, I'm Jacob Pelche knowing I, I didn't have a strong training camp last year or, or whoever you are, that's music to your ears, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and, and I know that it was, a, uh, it was definitely one of the things that resonated most with fans who were watching uh, that one certainly made an impact for for all those reasons. Because how how much were people clamoring last year to see more youth in the lineup, and and so and and the way that you can go about affecting that is just what you said. You know, leave a couple of spots open and and see. You can always you can always sign a guy once training camp is done, and you can always you can always go about things after the fact, but. Leave a couple of spots open in training camp and, and see what that does. See if see if somebody that you're expecting to push for a job can use that open spot and and that's what actually that's what actually drives them. Because I, I can imagine that if there's not that you 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 can see what things look like. You can do the math if you're a young player. You're like, well, is there even a spot open? I, I wonder what that can do sometimes mentally to a guy if you don't even feel like there's an opportunity and now you're feeling like you got to beat out, you know, um, NHL veterans and guys with hundreds and thousands of games under their belt. And the other thing it allows you to do is if your young players don't have a great training camp, you know, there's always some really interesting names on the waiver wire at the end of camp. And the flames haven't necessarily been in a position to make any claims because, They've always had a full roster. And so if your quote-unquote worst-case scenario is that some of your up-and-comers don't look great in camp and you maybe have a spot on the NHL roster and you're not sure you have the internal candidate to fill it, it actually gives you some 
fascinating flexibility around the start of October as well when, you know, there's some names available on waivers. There's some, some guys who maybe have been released from PTOs elsewhere. You're going to have your own PTOs in-house. I, I just think I, I don't see a ton of downside into approaching it that yeah, way. No, me neither. With uh, with Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. Um, okay, outside of the coach, and, and we all know how important a hire that is, and we're probably you know a few weeks away from finding out who the next head coach of the Calgary Flames is going to be. But what what's the most interesting piece of offseason business for you if if you're Craig Conroy? What's the one that that fascinates you the most? And there's some really obvious ones. There's some less obvious ones. But what is it for you? Not even what you think's the most important, maybe, but the one that's most interesting to you. The Elias Lindholm one is is the most important for sure. Um, and, and probably the most interesting to me, I'm really curious where this goes, both in the sense of his importance to the team as your first line center, but also the sort of, you know, we heard the comparable to, to Bo Horvat's contract, like just even trying to make the money work is, is going to be curious if, if he does want to sign an extension. I, I'm really fascinated to see where the captain discussion goes especially as it pertains to to Michael Backlund and whether he's willing to stay or whether he's willing to I guess extend long term would you consider putting the C on on a player who might be gone after next season that doesn't make a ton of sense to me and yet if he's the leader in your locker room anyways are you fooling anybody if you put the C on someone else's jersey? Uh, that, that one's a really curious one for me. I, I'm fascinated to see, and that's not just Craig's decision. I think the new head coach is going to have a lot to obviously say about that, but that's another one. And then the third one, and I've given you too many answers already, but yeah. the, the other one is just how you'd address that potential strength on defense to add to your forward group. I, I'm really, you know, whether it's at the draft or, or a couple of weeks later, I, I'm fascinated to see what that first trade might look like, how how you might be able to leverage. And I assume that it would be potentially subtracting from a, a position of strength on, on defense or, you know, maybe you're, you're willing to trade away a goalie because Dustin Wolf's ready. However that looks, I, I'm curious to see how you address that need for another forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, what, uh, what is it for you? I'm curious. Oh, you know, there's a lot of them and, and I'm trying to think what is the most interesting one for me because of all the different, you know, the one that I think is maybe the most interesting just because I don't know how you do it is how you go about unlocking Jonathan Huberto. To me that, cause I don't, I don't, there's not an easy answer, right? Like the answer's fairly simple for, say, Lindholm, right? Like, okay, Elias, let's talk contract. Here's our offer. No, that's not really interesting to me. Well, that's as high. Okay, well, it doesn't look like we're going to get anything done with Lindholm. Let's move into trade mode. Or even acquiring a top six forward or managing your cap. Like, those things, they're not fully black and white, but they're maybe a little less gray than how do you unlock the guy that's about to enter the longest contract? It's not the longest, the largest contract in franchise history. And a guy who had a historical drop year over year in point totals to me, I don't know. I, I don't know how you do it. And I think that you, there's a lot of different ideas, whether it be the type of coach you hire or some of the player personnel, you might target to play with them. But how do you go about unlocking Jonathan Huberto? To me, 
that isn't maybe the number one issue that they need to prioritize. But I think for me, it's the most interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it could potentially have the largest impact on next season because you need, you know, 115, which is obviously his total last season with the Florida Panthers. I, I don't know that we're going to see Jonathan Huberto in that range again, but you need him to be a point per game guy. Absolutely. You need, you need him around that 80 range. If, if you're paying him the way you are and giving him the, the sort of opportunity that, I think he's going to get like we we saw him become a second or third liner at, at times this season, and I really don't see that being the case moving forward. And so it, it's twofold, as you said. I, I think that the personnel that you surround him with, who his center might be, and we've heard Craig talk about sort of the importance of finding some chemistry there obviously that's a huge part of it and the coaching angle on it is is really fascinating as well I know we've heard Alex Tongay's name already bandied about you know that this is a guy who was one of the best playmakers the Flames had for 20 years it was interesting when I talked to Mackenzie Weger last week from the Worlds in Latvia he actually went out of his way and this was before we'd, we'd heard Alex's name connected at all he went out of his way to tell me what a great job he was doing with the power play that that he thought and sorry this is with team canada world yeah he thought he'd learned a ton from from alex tongue already that was the first time my spidey senses sort of went up like oh i wonder if that would be a, a coaching option for the flame whether it's a head coach or or maybe you bring in a a sort of rising star on an associate deal and that way you know you can you can ask permission from Detroit to talk to him. You can, you can bring him in for a, you know, an increased job opportunity. And so that's another way that you help unlock Jonathan Huberto. You're absolutely right. The way that the flames go about that, we all know they need to do it, but the way they go about it is going to be really fascinating. Well, there you go. I know you got a tea time here in minutes. Uh, before we do, somebody on the text line just wants to know you're in Bend, Oregon, oh, Oregon, rather. Oregon. There's uh, that sounds like I've never been there. I've been there. I've never been to Bend. But, um, but you're in Bend, Oregon. It's a great spot. Have you been to the last blockbuster? Does it really have a blockbuster? Yeah, it's the apparently it is the only remaining brick and mortar blockbuster that exists in Bend, Oregon. I had no idea. I uh, I'll add it to my uh, list. I, I've been mostly on the uh, golf course brewery tour, but uh, the last blockbuster—that's good trivia right there. Somebody I didn't know—I knew there was one. It's on uh, two eleven Northeast Revere Avenue in Bend, Oregon. Fascinating. You learn something every day, buddy. This is what 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 you get on Flames Talk. It's all about learning. <laughs> It's good catching up with you. I'm sorry to miss such an important week back home. Uh, well, you'll be back for the coaching hire, so we got we got that in a few weeks. So go enjoy your round. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Yeah, thank you, buddy. Uh, Wes Gilbertson joining us on Flames Talk to wrap up this hour. Uh, of course, one of our Flames Talk fan members, and he's uh, he's a little golf getaway in Bend, Oregon, having himself a, a blast, and yet he's still working and covering the Conroy News. Wes joining us to wrap up this hour of Flames Talk on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline using the same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take out or delivery at 403-248-3344.